What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Guardians of the Future podcast. I'm your host, Justin Latta. Uh, sorry for the absence in the recent uh, week. Turns out hosting a podcast five days a week on another platform uh, makes it hard to host another podcast once a week on a different platform. Uh, but we are back. We are going to talk about the trading deadline and the acquisitions by the Guardians. We're going to talk about some system movement, some draft pick debuts, some cuts. And I've got a couple interviews lined up, too. We've gonna, I talked to Jake Fox, last Guardians homestand, after he went 4-for-4 four four and had a walk and played some good center field. Really impressed me and um, you know thought about where things are going with him. And then on Saturday, last Saturday, I took in the Rubber Ducks game uh, down in Akron. Got to talk to Ruglis Odor after the game, the Rubber Ducks manager. We talked about Will Dion. We talked about Franco Aleman. We talked about Tanner Burns, Jose Tanya. Angel Martinez, Juan Brito, all good stuff over there. So we'll get to all that stuff coming up. Let's talk about deadline decisions first. So obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you do not live under a rock when it comes to uh, the Cleveland Guardians and their moves. Guardians went out and traded Aaron Savali. That was the big deal to Tampa Bay and wound up getting first baseman Kyle Manzardo in return. And, you know, a lot of people were, were upset about that deal, understandably so. The Guardians technically were in the AL Central race, and their pitching is beat up, and Aaron Savali's cheap, and he was pitching well, and he had club control. So it wasn't like a deal they had to do. But on the reverse side of things, if you look at Savali's history, I know people don't necessarily want to hear that you, you know, we can't predict injuries, obviously, but Aaron Savali is a guy who's thrown like 100 innings one time in his career. Uh, I'm going to double check myself on that, but look, he's, he's never had a serious injury in terms of like arm health. We're not talking like Tommy John or anything like that, but he has topped hundred innings once in his career. Two years ago, he pitched 97 uh, in the minors. He never pitched. He did pitch over hundred innings twice. That's about as high as he's gone. He's pitching very well. And you could see over the last week or so, the guardians rookie pitching has been really good. You do need Savali because you have McKenzie and Bieber hurt and truthfully don't know what the future for McKenzie holds. And uh, if he needs surgery, you missed. That's the hard part with McKenzie is if he ends up needing surgery because of this, not only is he missing 2023, but he's missing 2024 because of the surgery. And then you're getting a guy back in 2025 who, you know, who knows what it's going to look like then. That's beside the point. Bieber, he may not be here at the end of the offseason. We'll see. So, yeah, in theory, you do need Savali. And I, I do get that. I think the other hand of it says, though, the Guardians have a very big deficiency in the middle of their lineup. As we know, they can't score runs. They don't really have a whole lot going on at first base. I know some people listening to this might say, well, what about John Kenzie Noel? And I think I've stated my, my feelings there on John Kenzie Noel. I just don't see it with him pitch selection-wise and being able to hit breaking stuff. I think there's a, a huge issue there. Um, and I'm not just saying because I, I don't think he can for power. I think he can hit for power. I just don't know if he's going to hit enough to overcome the strikeouts. And I don't I mean, it's okay to have guys on your roster to strike out hit for power. It is absolutely okay. You cannot have this guardians lineup that consistently hits 220 or 250 or 260 with, with two home runs or 10 home runs. You know, their outfield for God's sakes has like nine home runs combined. So I'm not saying you can't have guys like that in their lineup. I'm just saying, I don't think John Kenson well, has a good chance of wind up being what they need. So at first base, you get a guy like, like Kyle Manzardo. And if you go back to 
let's say the any, any time in the offseason, let's say over the winter, the Guardians, you know, weren't shopping Aaron Savali at the time. He was coming off a season where he only threw 97 innings. He missed a good chunk. He came back late in the year. And he got hit hard early in the year, late in the year too. He was not, he was not do well. Obviously the start in New York was, you know, it was what it was in the LDS, probably not a great situation overall, but he was a guy who, you know, he, he, the peripherals were better than the overall stat line. But if you go back to De- December or January and the guardians make this trade or they try to make this trade, number one, Tampa Bay is not making this trade last December because Kyle Manzardo is coming off of year where he hit 22 home runs between high A and double A um, as a 21-year-old in his first full season in pro ball. And he crushed both those leagues. Didn't strike out a lot, walked plenty, you know, showed some power. He's a top three prospect in a very, very good system, right? And Aaron Savali is coming off the season, like I said, where he pitched 97 innings, was was not great. At times, he got hit a little bit hard, even though the, the peripherals were better. That trade's not happening over the winter. That trade's not happening in April, even. Uh, Manzardo was thought of early in the season as one of the best prospects, you know, top 50 prospect across baseball. That trade was not happening back in May. You know, Aaron Savali is only expendable for the Guardians because of their spot. You can't sit there and compare your team in the division to the twins. This is the AL central's bad. Okay. Let's just put it that way. And I know some people sit there and say, well, you can't blame them for the division they're in. Just like you can't blame, you know, a college football team, like Ohio state, you know, for being in the big 10 when the big 10 is, is pitiful, you know, outside of Michigan and some years, Penn state, depending on, on what they do. The schedule is the schedule. Um, the division is the division. But when you get to the playoffs, you're not facing the Minnesota Twins. You're not facing the the Chicago White Sox. You know, you're facing Baltimore. You're facing Tampa Bay. You're facing a lot of good teams in the playoffs. I mean, again, I'm sitting here on, on August 9th recording this, and the Red Sox, who are in last place in the AL East, well, they would be second in the AL Central. They're behind Minnesota by a, a half a game, Okay. That, that the division's not good, and the AL, AL East is good. I know there's different like market dynamics that, that go along with that as well. I'm not I'm not blind to that either. But you're not comparing yourselves to the Twins. You, you when you get to the playoffs, you're comparing yourselves to the Blue Jays. You're comparing yourselves to the Orioles, the Rays, the Rangers, who went out and did a lot of good things, the Astros, who are the defending champs. And you might even say, well, you just get anything and happen, you get in. And I, I, to a certain extent, I agree. Like you, the Guardians get in the playoffs any any given way, and you're even even forgetting about McKenzie or or Beaver coming back. Your playoff rotation is something of Savali and Williams and Bybee. That's great. You could win with that pitching, but I I don't know if you've watched this team all year. If you can sit there and tell me this offense is going to score enough runs, I mean. The last two games against the Blue Jays before I'm recording this, they scored a combined three runs. And they lost, or they won, they went one and one. That might work in the postseason, you know, but you have to go three games to do that. And I just don't see anything with this team where they were going to hit enough in the playoffs to make to make noise. This is not this is not a good lineup. And the reason they weren't you no, know, they had Savali and they weren't winning. They had Josh Bell and they weren't winning. And they had Ahmed Rosario and they weren't winning. 
this team was not going anywhere with what they were constructed with first and foremost. And you've got a big hole in the middle of your lineup. So again, that trade back in May is not happening. It happens because Savali is pitching great. His value is at an all-time high. And the Guardians have a good track record of, of getting rid of pitchers. I don't say get rid of, but capitalizing on the pitcher's value before they start to crater a little bit. You know, did they trade Corey Kluber a little bit late? Possibly. I mean, they got Ayo Classe, who's an all-star closer, right? Colorado Shields was a was a you know a money balancer, whatever. They got Classe, they got an all-star closer for Kluber, and Kluber has been awful since, sadly. Uh well, he was good with the Yankees that one year. He did throw the no-hitter. So there is that. Of course, he threw a no-hitter there and not Cleveland um, in his heyday. So there is that. But he was coming off a fluke year where he got hit with a line drive in, in the arm. So he didn't have any serious injuries at that point either. Mike Clevenger has been pretty much a disaster since he left, except, of course, two weeks ago he did shut down the Guardians. Shocker. Carlos Carrasco, love cookie. I think we all can agree with that. He's been okay this year, but he largely has not been good since he left, and that was a salary dump. Those are things they've done in the past. They have gotten out from under those contracts and on, on, for players before things have gotten bad. And that's not suggesting things will go bad with Savali, but with his control left, the way he was pitching, and the need on the market. Again, I, I think people need to realize that this is a trade that probably no, – no, no, look, if you're in first place and you're up by five, six, whatever games, you're probably not making the trade. But this trade you probably need to remove context from. I think this is about value. This is about simply about player value. The Guardians got a good offer on Aaron Savali, and they took it regardless of their standing, right? Not any now without context of the division, this is a good trade. If you make this trade over the offseason, or you make the trade, like I said, last offseason, if you make it in May, they probably couldn't make it last offseason. I'm not saying it makes it any better now. I'm just saying, like, this is a trade you make regardless of context if you feel that strongly about Manzardo, which they clearly do. And and I know some people are gonna say, well, Manzardo doesn't have a whole lot of power. You know, he had 22 home runs. Some of it was in high A and double A where uh, the ballparks have a little bit of friendly park factors. I won't lie about that. And he started to struggle the second half of the year before he got hurt in triple A this year. He's still hitting for power. Um, This is a first baseman that a lot of people think is going to hit. Are we talking, you know, a middle, are we talking a, a, a 40 home run hitter? No. You're not, unfortunately, talking to 40 homer and hitter, although, you know, never say never, right? I, the balls could be juiced again. I didn't think Francisco Lindor hit 30 or Jose Ramirez hit 30. So I don't think we're talking Matt Olson here or Pete Alonzo, but I think we're talking like Justin Turner or or Daniel Murphy or Yandy Diaz in a good way now. I think we're talking in that range of things. Uh, Nate Lowe from the... Um, the Rangers, who is also a Red Sox pro, uh, a Rays prospect. You're talking about a guy who can hit 20, 25 home runs. Like, this is a guy who, while he might not have, he does have good exit velocities. His exit velocities are the same as Jose Ramirez. Now, granted, those are AAA, so we'll see what happens when he gets to the majors. Um, you're going to get a lot of doubles out of him. 
hopefully the home runs may come. This is the guy who gets the ball in the air a lot. Like he gets he gets to all the raw power he has. Like in the past, I've talked about how Josh Naylor took forever, and Josh Naylor has way more raw power, obviously, than Kyle Manzardo, but he doesn't get to all of it because of his bad at ball profile. It's a lot of ground balls, a lot of line drives, and he just doesn't – he chases a lot too. That's the other thing too. He chases a lot. He ends up hitting singles and doubles on pitches that um, he maybe shouldn't really go after. Manzardo is a different type of hitter like that. So he could equal Josh Naylor's power output simply because he has better pitch selection. He walks more because of that. He gets the ball in the air more frequently um, in general, too. I mean, I mean, Naylor also makes a lot of contact, but Manzardo can, too, as well. So if you're talking about a guy who can hit 25 home runs and 30 doubles, that's, you know, 50 extra base hits is pretty solid. Um, it may not be, like I said, it may not be Matt, Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman or, or Pete Alonso at first base, but this team needs a long-term solution at first base uh, slash DH like Josh Naylor. The thing about Josh Naylor is he currently is on the IL. He's had injuries pretty much every year. He, let's see, how many times has he played over a hundred games? Uh, last year was the first time, and I, and I now I know in San Diego he didn't get a whole lot of shots. Um, he played 94 games in 2019 there, and the pandemic hit, and then he got hurt in 2021, came back, played 122. He's going to get over 100 this year, and he comes back, hopefully. Um, even in the minors. Even in the minors, he only had one season, or only two seasons where he played over 100 games. So most of the time the minors, he was not playing over 100 games either. So that's... That's a bit of an issue you have to worry about as well. And he's going to be a free agent after 2025. You've got two more years with him. You've got 20, 24 and 25. He's probably not signing a long-term deal. A, because he's having the best year of his career. And I think he wants to cash in at arbitration. Now, this injury is going to hurt him, certainly, in arbitration. But I don't think he is taking a deal from the Guardians where you're like, okay, we'll buy out a couple of years of free agency and you'll um, you'll take some a discount on the back end of it because he is 26 and he would hit free agency. He would need a six-year deal, I think, because of, of that. So you're talking about a guy who's not going to take a four-year deal because this will be his one chance to get paid. Um, and you just don't know how he's going to hold up anyway with the injuries and, and history there. And regardless, you don't have a DH right now. It's rotating. And I think that's a good thing to have the DH rotate. But these two could make a good pairing for the foreseeable future um, for the next two years, at least. You have you should have Manzardo. Hopefully their their timelines intersect a little more. They can go back and forth. I mean, Manzardo's got to be better than Josh Bell. This was this year, at least. Although we thought Josh Bell would be better than Owen Miller, which which he is. Owen, he's better than Owen Miller because, hey, Owen Miller netted cash. Josh Bell netted Khalil Watson, which we're going to talk about too as well. So I think this makes a lot of sense. I, I think Manzardo right now is easily, if he isn't their top prospect right now, he is their second best prospect based on proximity and safe value. And I know those are famous last words saying safe value, but we'll see. I think there's enough. there's enough – reliability there to, to think that he can be a league average hitter at first base. Um, 
you need more than that at first base, truthfully. 100, 100 WRC plus is league average. You need, I think you need at least 120 at first base. I mean, the, the best first basemen in baseball right now are, uh, you know, in the 150 range. And that includes Josh Naylor, who's at 127. I don't see why you can't get 127 out of out of uh, comments are over the next several years. I don't see why not. He's hit everywhere he's gone, and the exit velocities are good. He gets the ball in the air. If you hit the ball in the air with those exit velocities, home runs will come. The approach is already good. I have I have confidence this is going to be a solid player. And like I said, if you probably ask anybody on the Rays or any Rays fans, would they have done this deal over the offseason? Not a chance. They would not have traded Kyle Manzardo. I don't think at all. I think they would have wanted to keep him. And I think I talked to some race fans who, too, who follow their system, who think that that was it was worth it to get Savali, but it was a high price to pay given the market. And that's the other thing, too. The market drove this deal. You saw the, the, the returns for all the rental pitchers out there, excluding the Mets, who, you know, paid salaries to get prospects, which is, you know, smart for them, considering where they are. But there were no pitchers like Savali with his control left that were on the market. So uh, Cleveland capitalized on an inefficiency. We'll see if it works out for them, but they need a solution at first base long-term. Common zero can be that. I guarantee this means they probably had interest in him as draft year. He was a good player in college in Washington state. Um, so we're going to find out. I think he's at least the top two prospect in their system right now, based on all those things. So that trade as painful as it was, you weren't winning with that current roster. You weren't uh, you weren't guaranteed to make the playoffs the way things were going with how inconsistent this team was, then you might as well capitalize on that. I mean, if they didn't get the offer Manzardo, they don't make that deal. And the fact that they got Manzardo and not a package of three or four players tells you they really value Manzardo because um, in the past they've taken larger packages, right? Like the Bauer deal, the Clevenger deal. They've taken three or four players trying to get more bites at the apple, trying to, you know, if, two, if one or two of those players – ends up being a productive major leaguer, you, you do a good job out of that. And the Clevenger deal has borne a lot of fruit. So now it'll be up to Manzardo to make the Savali deal work out. This is still a good team. This is still a team that can win next year too. Um, you'd have the two, the three rookie pitchers. You might get one or two of those starters back that's injured right now. Maybe. Hopefully Quantrill comes back. You know, maybe there's some other guys you can you can add in pitching wise. There's Cody Morris, there's Joey Cantillo, those kind of things. Um, you've got to you've got to find a way to score runs. Scoring runs is the biggest problem on this team. So for everybody who's sitting there saying that you know this offense needs help, and you don't like the way they went out and did it, I'm sorry, Savali is worth that to me. I don't I don't think he's going to pitch this well. He might pitch this well the rest of his career. Maybe he stays healthy. The track record doesn't say so, but, you know, track records can change based on player performance. We'll see. Um, I think it's a worthwhile shot, though. I don't think it's a gamble. I think it's just a worthwhile um, exercise in value. That's the other thing, too. You have to remember, the Guardians don't ever, don't often go all in on the trading deadline. And this is not the year to do that based on who was available, both based on their standing, what they have, right? 2016, 2017, 2018. Very clearly, they were going for it. You did, you know, the trades with Miller. You tried to get Jonathan Lucroy. You got Jay Bruce and Joe Smith. Um, you got Josh Donaldson, Brad Hand. Those deals were all in deals. They weren't selling. The Guardians need to get back to that point. But because they're not, they have one foot on, on in between the two lines of buying and selling. 
I don't like to look at it as buying and selling either because a lot of other teams do this. The Braves categorically normally do this. They didn't this year because of where they're at in the standings. They got off to a hot start. They have a good team. They feel like they are all in. They were in first place in the best division in baseball. Typically, though, a lot of teams are, are more opportunists. They want to get value. You're trying to build the best long-term club you can in terms of, of winning. And it's okay once in a while to to kind of push the chips to the middle like Cleveland did in 18, 17, 16, 17, 18. Um, and that's why they started to do their you know, slight teardown. I don't want to say teardown, but they, they revamped the roster year by year. And that's why Jose Ramirez is the last guy standing from the, those years. And that's why when they faced Mike Clevenger the other week, uh, Jose Ramirez is the only guy left um, from the, the time when Clevenger was here. So that's how that happens. And you're trying to give yourself the most chances to win. And you're trying to find a year like the Rays, or you're trying to find a year like 2016, 2017, where, you could commit to giving yourself the best chance to win the postseason. That year was not this year. I don't care how much you care about random variance. There's not enough random variance this year in the playoffs for this offense to come through. And I think Manzardo can be a solution for this offense that so desperately needs it. So that trade makes a ton of sense to me. The other move was Josh Bell for Kyle or Cleo Watson in Miami. This trade blew my mind um, for, for a lot of reasons. First, Josh Bell has a player option of 16 and a half million next year. And he's not played well. Everybody in baseball thinks that he's picking the option up next year because he's not going to be able to do better on the free, on the free agent market than 16 million. That trade was that, that, that signing was a flop. If he played well, this team would be in a better position and they would be um, adding and not subtracting if, if they got the Josh Bell they were looking for. Right. The fact that he is having a bad season to me, and they got Khalil Watson, and they cleared his salary. I know they took on Gene Segura, and they cut him very promptly. Um, they saved some money on this, and I know my people will say, well, great, the Dolan's pocketed more money. Who cares? Why do we care about that? And you shouldn't. You shouldn't care about that. You should care about what they do to reinvest the money to make this team better in any way, shape, or form. That's what you should care about. Um, the saving the money part is good. The part that needs to be is the follow-through and what you do with that money on the field is what matters there. The Cleo Watson thing. So the fact they found someone to take for Josh Bell makes a lot of sense because, or is, is impressive because um, clearly they want to get Kyle Manzardo a shot. If they are stuck with Josh Bell's player option next year, having Josh Naylor and, and Josh Bell blocks Kyle Manzardo. So now you've created space for Kyle Manzardo. I think I, I thought maybe they could shop Josh Bell over the off season. I didn't know how many takers they would get. So I'm impressed enough they found someone to do that and found a way to save money if they can reinvest it. And then you get a prospect like Khalil Watson back. Khalil Watson is not a typical Guardians prospect. He doesn't. He has hit tool questions. Just not not everybody knows if he's going to make enough contact. He's got some some background character choices that were poor. Um, you know, if you were if you weren't aware of the incident, so he was suspended in Miami last year in the minor leagues because he didn't like a check swing call that got called a strike against him um, from an umpire. And he took the bat and he pointed at the umpire like a gun and made a shooting motion. Not great. It's not a good look, especially in today's environment. I'm just going to be honest. And he was suspended for that. And there have been with not whispers, but there have, there's been open talk about 
just didn't get along with coaches there or the coaches didn't like him or, or something like something to that effect. I'm not, I'm not a thousand percent on those details there. There's definitely some, some headbutting there on both sides, I would say. So this is not typically a player Cleveland targets, a fresh start and a wake up call on a trade. The fact that the Miami was willing to dump him so fast after being uh, the 16th overall pick two years ago, you know, might say a lot to him and hopefully, like I said, a change of senior with new coaches and, and just somewhere fresh might help him. The talent is, is undeniable. I mean, there were people who thought that he was a top five, possibly a top 10 talent um, in the system or in, in, in the draft that year. He slid to 16 because of character concerns and maybe maybe some money as well. I'm not sure. But, you know, there were I think there's a lot of people who felt like he fell because of that. Um, he has not played particularly well since he's got to the pros. He strike out. He struck out a lot. What he does do well is he has he's a gifted athlete. He is probably the best athlete in the Guardian system now. He has at least above average raw power, maybe plus. There's a lot of power in that bat, especially for a shortstop or a middle infielder. Um, he could be a gifted infielder with with some um, some repetition and some some uh, changes. The biggest question for him is is the hit tool and and the character thing. He's got to put the work in. Um, but for Josh Bell, for, you know, we're talking about, this is a boomer bust player. I think the, the, the outcomes or the, the range of outcomes for, for Cleo Watson, I'm not saying he can't be just an, uh, you know, a fringe average major leaguer, but looking at it from a probability standpoint, the probabilities are he never makes the majors or he's a star. Those are probably the two highest probabilities. Like fan graphs used to do this great thing where they used to have a, a calculated war chart, like uh, probability of outcomes, where it would kind of predict the range of, of wins above replacement. I don't think they do this anymore. And it might have been Cato. And that was the guy who got hired by the twins, I think. But they used to do a war projection where the highest odds of this guy's war were zero. And the second highest odds would have been like, you know, two, two wins above replacement or that. If they did that with Cleo Watson, I guarantee it would be zero. the highest probability of career war or whatever war for him might be zero. But the second highest might be like 10 or 20. He might have, I'm not talking about obviously one season, but I'm just saying that the highest probabilities for him are either star or, or he doesn't make the majors. There's definitely a world where he, you know, makes the majors and he's just an okay player or he just has a cup of coffee. There's that, but the highest range of outcomes, the highest probability of outcomes for him is, is one of those two things. So for Josh Bell, for a guy that you didn't want on the roster now, you didn't want on the roster next year, and not a lot of people were really interested in, to get a guy like that, that's worth it to me. That's what the Guardians should be doing. I know everyone's going to say the Guardians have a ton of shortstops, and some of them you know, can make contact, but none of them are really stars, can make commitment for power. Cleo Watson, you know, if things go right, he can hit for power and play shortstop, or he can, I think he's athletic enough to move to center field too. I think there's a, a reasonable ask there to see if he can man the outfield a little bit too. He has the arm. He should have the speed outfield might, you know, there are guys, Oscar Mercado comes to mind. Remember he was, he was a terrible defensive shortstop in the minors. He got to the outfield and things kind of changed for him. Things opened up. It was good. And obviously he hasn't gone well since and Cleo Watson, 
you know, if you ever got there, that would be a real accomplishment if you got to Oscar Mercado's level. But, you know, things can clear up if you change positions. Maybe it's a fresh start there as well. So um, he doesn't have to stay at shortstop. He's played some second, but I think outfield could be an option for him. We'll see if the Guardians go that route in the offseason. Um, but there's there's a, a lot of upside there and and Cleo Watson. He doesn't have to go on the roll on the on the 40 man roster for two more years. So 20 you have 2024, you have all 2024 and all 2025 to figure out what is going to happen with him. And there's no reason not to play the living crap out of him at every position possible and make every mechanical thing you you can fix with him to see if he can break out. Because if, if he can, he's a star. And and that's worth it. That's that's more than worth it for Josh Bell. If it doesn't work out, you cleared some money and you hope that Kyle Manzardo is worth that roster spot next year. Um, everyone's happy. So not a lot of downside here for the Guardians in terms of this deal. I'm excited about Cleo Watson. I hope it works out, but um, it's it's really good for creativity. I'm really impressed at how that, that deal came together. I'm surprised. A um, lot of system movement the last couple of days. Really exciting stuff. So um, I'll start here. Brian Webb is back off the I.L. in Lake County. He's going to pitch this week. That's great to hear. We got draft pick news. Draft picks are going to play. So Ralphie Velasquez played his first game at DH on Monday night. He... Uh, had a hit and a steal. Great to see that. You had um, Matt Jahasek. Jasek. I can't pronounce the guy's last name. He made his debut in the uh, ACL as well, and he got promoted to Lynchburg after that. Uh, so he'll go to an affiliate. You're going to get Cooper Ingle, the catcher from Clemson, um, is going to play at Lake County. That's an aggressive promotion. Not only is he skipping low A, or not only is he playing his draft year, which is not usual for the Guardians the last several years, as we talked about, he's going to high A. That's fun. They need catching so bad at every level, so badly. Um, Joe Donovan and Zach Fascia are good org guys who are, you know, pitchers like working with their coaches' dreams, but uh, Cooper Ingle should get a lot of playing time there. At Lynchburg, you get um, Alex Mooney, who might have been one of the more interesting picks in that draft. Uh, the Duke infielder who they had to overpay to get uh, had to overpay to get here, and his uh, his deal might have cost um, money. Might have cost them um, Mac Hewer and the other high school kid that uh, ended up going to college. So that's a bummer. So, but Mooney, they thought very highly of. He's going to go to Lynchburg. CJ Kafis, the first baseman slash outfielder from Miami, he's going to go to Lynchburg. Catcher Johnny Tincher from Washington. He's going to go to to Lynchburg. That should be fun for him. The five foot eight catcher. I've never seen a catcher that small. Um, Jacob Resnahan and Keegan Zinn are going to make their ACL debuts this week. That's super fun. Um, Tyler Thornton went to Akron. Just a ton of ton of movement overall in the system. That's good to see. Um, the reason that you're seeing more draft picks make their debut. Um, is because I think it's because of this new rule. I think I've, I've asked I've asked around a couple people. Um, he or I'm sorry, I'm looking at a Tanner Bybee stat line from his great start. Um, they have to add these guys to the the 180 ran roster now. They have a, a organizational roster of 180, and um, they had to add these guys 15 days after they were signed. So their the Guardians used to take their time adding to the roster which didn't cost them a uh, spot this season. Um, 
they they have to now add all these guys to the the 108 man roster because of this new rule. So if they're on the roster, they uh, they might as well just play these guys. It makes a lot more sense, I think. So that's cool to see that these guys are going to play. It's exciting. I know we always get mad about how all these other exciting guys go out and they make their major league debuts or their pro debuts with other teams and the Guardians are sitting here waiting until April to get their first round pick on the field. That sucks. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore, though. The Guardians will have to do that because of the new rule and We'll see if that's good for everybody. The Guardian and the Guardians even say, like, you know, we're not saying that our our way is the is the best way, but they like it because they always said they wanted to get guys acclimated to pro ball, get them set up with the right routines. And some of these guys too were playing in the spring and summer, and they were done playing by June or July. And to get them in here by the end of middle mid August and ramp them back up to game speed, you know, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes, especially for pitchers, right? Um, whose season might be over. Maybe they threw a lot of innings. So, and like I said, the guardians have never said that's the best way to do it. They just think it's, it's makes some sense. And I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Tanner Bybee <laughs> didn't lose anything from it, right? Tanner Bybee didn't make his debut until 2022. Uh, didn't really hurt him. Didn't really hurt Kevin Williams either. So um, it's just boring for fans, unfortunately, but again, no longer really a problem, uh, which is good. Those guys are going to be playing a little bit more so we can all get excited about draft picks a little bit. And see what you got. Uh, in terms of minor league excitement, uh, you know, it's been a tough year. I am working on my top prospects list still. I wanted to have it out by now, but I haven't had time to work out like I thought. Uh, I definitely felt kind of down on this system, to be honest with you, uh, out of this year. I was kind of disappointed where things have gone. It's been a frustrating year. But I will say recently there's been some t- some si- some improvements. Like I think Kyle Manzardo, again, is my number two prospect right now. I'll just say that. Um, you still have George Valera. We'll see. I, I'm still, he can't stay on the field and things haven't been good this year. I feel like he's just kind of trying to make up for lost time. That's always hard, but, uh, he's still pretty young and they could use a bat like that if he comes through. So he's still worth feeling pretty good about chase the lauder. I haven't seen enough yet. I am not going to change my feelings on him too much because he's been hurt and we've seen some flashes. Uh, I really like Ralphie Velasquez's batting. That was a good draft pick. If you didn't uh, hear us talk about that on, on previous Guardians of the Future, Willie and I go back and look at that. Juan Brito has been fantastic. Um, I think he is a major leaguer. I just don't know where he can hit. Joey Cantillo has been healthy all year. That's great to see. He's missing plenty of bats. He's throwing 98 now. He's more like 95, but he's throwing 98. That's cool. Angel Martinez had a dreadful first half. He is much better now. Uh, Cody Morris is healthy again. Uh, we'll see what, what's going on there. I'm so confused about his role, but I still like the upside there. Jason Chorio needs a trip out of Lynchburg or out of Arizona so bad. He needs to go to Lynchburg. He is just blowing the competition away. Welvin Francisco is having a great year in the Dominican for whatever that's worth. I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that. Um, I have Clemmy ranked pretty high. I'm not really high on the pick, but I think it's just due to the system and graduations. Like, it's been a lot of graduations this year. And Watson is a boomer bust prospect that has a lot of potential. I'm really high on there. After that, it is a bit of a, a... a rough time in terms of prospect rankings. Um, you know, Franco Alamon has burst on this out of the scene as a good reliever where I talked to Rugi Rugi Odor about him. Um, you'll hear that in the interview coming up here. Um, I'm excited about that. I still think that there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, Ethan Hankins has looked better recently, but there's a lot of guys in this list that just have 
Like this is the guys I'm looking at, like John Kensenwell down here, Angel Janow down here, PD Halpin. He's still young, but he's shown flashes. I just haven't seen enough yet. Uh, Peyton Banfield's graduating. Trenton Denholm has never made it, put it together. I am getting higher on Jake Fox. I've seen a lot the last few weeks I like about him. You're going to hear an interview with him. Uh, Diane Frias should be considered a bit of a breakout. I've really enjoyed him. We have to talk about him as a potential 40-man ad. Um, Jonathan Rodriguez, you know, I didn't have him ranked early in the season. I'm going to rank him now. Um, I still have doubts about the about the overall upside, but I think uh, the talent is there for sure. Uh, it's a shame that we didn't see Dylan Delusha or Justin Campbell this year. Hopefully we'll see him next year. I'm still high on Justin Campbell. I don't know what the surgery was, but I'm still high there. But um, could have been a much worse season overall. I mean, if Daniel Spino comes back next year and you can forget about this, you can feel good about that. Andrew Walters is a, is a good relief prospect. Uh, this bullpen needs it. So that's exciting as well. So I'm hoping my, my rankings out this week sometime um, after the trading deadline. So there's that. All right, when we come back, um, I'm going to play you about, let's see, a minute, minute and a half to about two and a half minutes of an interview with Jake Fox. I did last week, again, uh, after his, two weeks ago, after his um, four for four performance in Lake County, where he played a good night in center field. And then I'm going to play you my interview with Ruglis Odor from uh, Akron last weekend as well. So uh, just hang on as we wrap up this week's Guardians of the Future podcast. I don't feel like I'm doing too much different. Uh, just kind of trusting the work I'm putting in, trusting our coaching staff, uh, our team, and just trying to go out there and execute at bats. Uh, not not worried about the result. Just trying to execute my bat and trying to win the game. Uh, ultimately, you know, we gave up short tonight. And, but, uh, you know, we're to It's huge, obviously. You know, I want to have confidence every time when I sub in the box, no matter if I'm. Over four four Ks going up there for my fifth, or like tonight I had four hits going up there for my fifth. Um, trying to have the same confidence every time, um, believing in myself. Uh, I trust the work I put in. I know how hard I work, and I know how much you know our, our coaches work with me, and they work hard as well. So it's honestly the confidence is probably just going every day practice, and not feel comfortable. So I'm going up there, and I'm thinking I'm going to get it done. You were busy in the field. Been you know working on little things in the cage here and there um, with my hitting coach Beck and uh, you know I've always had confidence every day even when I was struggling really bad earlier this season um, just you know thinking the next day was going to be the day that you know I break out of it and start to figure it out and uh, this hit, month it started to happen but uh, it was it was all the work that you know we've been putting in each month day um, props to my hitting coach for just working the other day. I trust him, he trusts me, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's starting to click, and I'm feeling good. This, yeah, I, feel, um, and we I think for me, it was just about getting reps in the game and uh, just, you know, more in-game in -game experience in the outfield, so I haven't played there that much. Um, yeah, getting to play there all this year has been awesome. Uh, I feel really confident, comfortable out there. Uh, it's just... Comes, comes naturally, I guess. Just kind of frees me up to be athletic and just go get the ball and be aggressive. So yeah, I love it out there. Also comfortable at second base, wherever it is in the infield. Uh, just you know, having trying to have as much value as I can to help the team win. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I had two great options. Uh, one, either go to the University of Florida and play baseball, or sign and play for Cleveland. So. 
Uh, my dad helped me a lot and my agents throughout that process. And, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I feel like I made the best decision for me. And, you know, I'm having a blast. I'm having a ton of fun. But, yeah, my dad's been there for me every step of the way. Uh, he's my role model, a guy I look up to. This is the perfect way to have the whole state. He's not me, my whole family. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this, this was ultimately the best decision. And, you know, I'm having a blast. Cool. That was Jake Fox talking about his 4-4 performance and uh, his breakout recently that I think he's played better. I talked about him in center field, and he talked about his draft process and his dad kind of guiding him and his uh, his agent and, and his advisor trying to get him into the pro pro system. Um, so appreciate Jake taking this time after the game to talk about that. I think uh, the arrow is pointing up for him as well. Um, I'm going to play you the interview with Rugi Odor after the Akron game last week uh talking about will dion and franco aleman uh juan bredo tanner burns jack leftwich uh jose tana angel martinez all those guys so uh enjoy that you'll get some some value out of that i know i sure did and uh thanks for listening this week um if you uh, are into prospects and into the guardian system uh, make sure you're listening every week whenever we have a podcast i know it's been inconsistent and the faces change in and out all week. I'm doing the best I can with uh, doing five podcasts a week on Lockdown Guardians. So make sure you're staying tuned there. And, uh, you know, download, leave a comment, uh, leave a review wherever you can. Tell a friend. It really helps. I appreciate it if you're sticking with me. Um, and I'll try to be back with some more guests here uh, in the next coming episodes as we head into the offseason. Talk about the 40-man roster and uh, hopefully Arizona Fall League as well. And I'll come back and don't forget to check out next year in Cleveland or next year in cle.substack.com. I will drop the link to the site and you can listen or ch- watch for my uh, top prospect ranking. So thanks for listening and enjoy the interview with uh, Rugo Sodor. He was great. He, he uh, was able to, to keep hitters of balance and using all his pitches and, and gave us a very good chance to win the world game, so that was nice to see him, you know, perform in the way he did. Generally, for I mean, for a guy who you know it's hitting 90, 91 at the top, is it just about for for him what he's done for you since he's been up here, keeping guys off balance, using all his pitches. What what allows him to be successful at this level? Because more often than not, he is giving you guys a chance to win and, and pitching pretty well every time out. It's just uh, the ability that, that he has commanding all his pitches. So it's not just his fastball, but also his secondary pitches. So he's able to locate him and he throws off-speed pitches behind the count for a strike and and, and also he, he can locate his fastball. So when you do that, you know, you, you're going to have most of the time a lot of success. That's a good lineup too, obviously, who's able to do that against. Yeah, he's been able to do it, you know, versus other teams, you know, with good lineups too. So. Um, you had two guys who have started for you this year, kind of follow him out of the bullpen. Are you just kind of trying to, at this point, manage guys' innings? Are you switching roles around with, with Burns and Leftwich at right. this point? Yeah, we've done it. Yeah, we've done it. I think with Burns, uh, now he's gonna we're going to use him as a reliever. We were doing it uh, every other outing. But, um, yeah, with Leftwich, you know, that's what we, we've Taking been doing. Yep. Yeah. Taking back, yep. A couple guys that didn't play tonight, Juan Brito, two nights off in a row. Are they okay with him? Uh, he, uh, he was taking run balls. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. No, day before yesterday. Um, during his pregame work, and got hit on the tip of a ball got hit on the tip of his finger, and he has, he has a fracture. Okay. Is he going to be down for a while? No, no, no. no, no. It's okay. just one of those uh, fractures that you know he's going to come back in the next few days. Okay. Yeah. 
What have you seen from him up here that has allowed him to jump right up here and just succeed right off the bat? Play discipline, does a great job controlling the strike zone uh, from both sides of the plate. And he's, he's a second baseman for me, but he's also getting experience at third base, so, but um, he has done a great job. And uh, Franco Alavon, since he's been here, just has not, no one's able to touch him. What have you seen from him yeah. that just made him so dominant? Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's, uh, he's throwing, you know, high 90s and also pounding the strike zone. And, you know, when you do that, he has a nice sinker, you know, and, and, and a nice slider. And he's been able to, to command the zone. And when you do that, you know, throwing high 90s, obviously, you're also going to give yourself, you know, uh, a pretty good chance to, to dominate. Uh, two guys that you just lost recently, Angel uh, Martinez and uh, Jose Tanner. Jose made his debut tonight up, up in Cleveland. Yeah, but yeah. those two guys got really hot for you towards you know the end before they right, were promoted. Right, right. Um, and early in the year, a couple of those guys kind of struggled a little bit. So what, what did right. they turn around that allowed them to you know finally move on? Well, that's that's baseball. Sometimes you're gonna have ups and downs, and uh, things were not going their way at the beginning of the season. But it's just the fact that they were working and and, and putting the time and on defense, base running, and, and, and swinging the bat. Uh, when you do that, obviously, you know, you, you, you're going to get better, and that's what they did throughout the whole season. So I'm, I'm excited and happy for them that they, they got the call to go to Columbus in the big league. So I just wish them, you know, the best of luck there. Appreciate okay. it. Okay, no problem. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah.